Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Neil Haney. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. So the title of this morning's message is The Great Exchange. When we adopted into the vineyard, 20 years ago now, we did so through Vineyard Columbus, and there was one person in particular that was kind of like our, our, our contact person uh, in the vineyard movement, and uh, by the way, Vineyard Columbus is the largest vineyard church in the world, so uh, we, we connected through a, a good church, a great church, and uh, Danny was, at the time, Danny Meyer was associate pastor at the church. And Danny's one of the finest men I've ever known, one of the most godly men I've ever known, one of the most loving, gentle-spirited men I've ever known. And uh, I had the privilege of hearing him teach at a conference. Deb and I were, were at a, a regional conference, and Danny's wife, uh, Penny, who was co-pastoring with him at, at uh, the Delaware County Vineyard, they planted Delaware County. They took 300 people from Vineyard Columbus and planted a church. That's the way to plant right there. You just take 300 people, good people, and just, just start a church. And then they grew it quickly to 800. But Penny uh, was diagnosed with cancer after a horrible car wreck. She, um, she had this horrible car wreck. And then they found the cancer as they were operating on her for the car wreck. And she's been battling cancer ever since. So uh, Danny and Penny just retired about a year ago from leadership at Delaware County Vineyard. But they're just precious people. And Danny told the story at this regional conference after they had gone through so much with Penny. And she was there at the conference, but she had no hair from all the chemo and radiation and all that. And, and he said, you know, this has been one of the most difficult times of our lives, but one of the most precious times of our lives. And we have grown, grown so close to Jesus through this terrible time of trial. And neither one of us would want to go through this if we didn't have to. But we wouldn't take anything from what we've gone through and what we've learned in this process. And then he told this story. He said, um, when my grandpa, when he, he was a, Jewish, a young Jewish child. He came, came up in a, a Jewish home. And uh, came to Christ in his, uh, in his early 20s. And uh, his, his, so he lived in New York City. And his grandfather lived on the other side of New York City. And every weekend or so, his grandpa would take the train and cross the city of New York over to his side. And they would, he and his father would go down and meet his grandpa at the train station. And he said his grandpa had this thing that he did every single time he came to see them. He would, he would say, so, Danny, what do you have in your pocket? And Danny said, sometimes I'd have like a, uh, I might have a, like a, a, a ball or I might have a, a jack or I might have a, a, you know, sometimes just pocket lint. That's all I could find. I'd reach in there and there'd just be some pocket lint. And he'd say, so what do you have in your pocket, Danny? He said, I would reach in my pocket, and whatever little trinket I had, it was worth nothing, I would pull it out and, and hold it up. And my grandpa, he said, would take that, even if it was pocket lint, and he would say, you know what, Danny, that's the finest pocket lint I've ever seen. He said, would you trade me this pocket lint 
for this silver dollar. And he would hand him a silver dollar. Every, every single trip, he went through this little ritual with Danny. And Danny said, you know, as I, um, as I got older and started walking with the Lord and started struggling with sin and the flesh and pride and, you know, uh, insecurities, he said, I discovered that Jesus was a lot like my grandpa. He would come to me and say, Danny, what do you have to, to offer me? And he would say, I, just me. I just have me. And he'd say, you know what? I'll take you, and I'll give you me. I'll take your weakness. I'll take your insecurities. I'll take your, your uh, uh, wrong thinking and wrong acting and your selfishness and your pride, and I'll give you my power and my strength, and my blessing. Let's just make this exchange. Let's just make this exchange. You give me all of you, and I'll give you all of me. And he said, I've tried to live that way my whole life. A few years back, probably a dozen years ago, I was going through a pretty rough time, and uh some things were going really wacky uh, in the church, and uh, uh, there were some things going on that were completely beyond my control, and I was really struggling. And I felt like a total failure as a leader, as a pastor. Um, you know, there, there, are, there are two kinds of people in the world, those who blame others and those who blame themselves, and they marry each other. You ever notice that? <laughs> well, anyway, that, that's not always true. Um, but, but I was one of those kind of people, and I didn't mean any reflection on Deb. This is not about her. But I'm one of those people that blame themselves. And, uh, you know, somehow, I don't know how, but I'm responsible for the Vietnam War. I, I have no idea, you know, how, how that's possible. But, that, you know, that's how I felt uh, growing up. And so um, I was taking on everything that was happening as my personal responsibility and my fault. Although I couldn't stop it, I had no control over what was taking place, I just was, I was responsible because I was senior pastor. The buck stopped here. And so my mentor, the, the man who hired me at this church, who was my senior pastor when I was associate for the first eight years I was here, a guy named Phil Shank, uh, was in Dagestan, Russia, and he had you know, come home for a while, and they, they, they went back and forth for 10 years, and finally the, uh, the Dagestani government made them come home permanently. It was during that time right after, I believe, right after they got home, and Phil was on a visit here, and he had stopped in to spend some time with me, and he caught me right in the throes of this thing. And so I just poured my heart out to him, and I said, I feel like I've failed you, failed the church, failed everybody. I feel like a failure. He said, so let me, let me get this straight. <laughs> you, f you feel like a failure. And I'm like, yeah. You, you feel powerless. Yeah. You feel like you're not adequate. Right. You feel like you can't do this. 
You can't be the pastor you want to be. You can't be the leader you want to be. And you can't change the things you want to change. And you feel totally inadequate. I was like, yes. He says, good. It's exactly where I want you. Because that's exactly where God wants you. Because it's not about you. And it's not up to you, Neil. And I heard it. You know how you hear things at different levels? There was, there was a small amount of relief at that point. It's like, well, if Phil thinks it's good that I'm a failure, <laughs> then maybe it's okay, you know? But I wasn't completely buying that. I wasn't completely buying that. I hadn't discovered what Danny Meyer discovered. Last week, we were given an assignment by Mark Kelly, and I love the message. Powerful message. And, and I agree with everything that was said. And I agree with what he gave us to do. See the weight. See the glory of what you're doing. It's affecting your forever. Make Jesus look magnificent today. That is wonderful. The problem is you and I can't pull this off on our own. We can't do this. You know, hang that on your mirror. Look at it every day. Absolutely. Aspire to live that way. But just remember, it won't be in your strength and power. Because I'm going to tell you a secret. Maybe no one's ever said this to you. But you, in your own strength and in your own flesh, are a failure. Thank you. <laughs> that re it reminded me of one of my favorite lines from one of my favorite movies, uh, Gladiator, when Maximus says, as they're going into battle at the beginning of the movie... Uh, he goes, brothers, what we do in life echoes in eternity. That is absolutely true. But we better, we better in this life be exchanging our pocket lint for his silver dollar. Are you following me? Because if we don't, pocket lint isn't going to buy us anything. It's not going to accomplish anything. The Apostle Paul realized this. How do we live this life? How do we live a life where what we do really matters in eternity? How do we live that life? Well, I'll give you a sec another secret. We don't. He does. The punchline is this. God wants to use your personality. Jesus wants to use your personality. He wants to use your mouth, your eyes, your hands, your feet, your brain, your heart to live his life through you so that he can accomplish things that will count in eternity. That's how this is done, guys. You can't do this on your own. Paul said it this way in Galatians 2.20 after he had really come down pretty hard on these guys for going back to living in their own strength and, and keeping the Jewish law. A bunch of Gentiles starting to keep the Jewish law to be righteous. Excuse me. I'm glad I'm more than six feet here. I have been crucified with Christ, he says. Now look at this. I no longer live. Well, wait a minute. You just said at the beginning of the book, I am the Apostle Paul, called by God, not by men. I am Paul. And now you're telling me you're not even living. But Christ lives in me. Oh, okay. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. 
Live by faith in the Son of God. You see, the exchange happens, the great exchange happens through faith. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you another secret. You may not feel like this is working. You may fall flat on your face many, many times before you get to the point where it's like, Jesus, you do this. I can't do this. Usually, the way you learn this is you keep failing. <laughs> and every time you fail, the Lord says, nice try. <laughs> Why don't you let me do it? Why don't you let me do it from now on? And then we're like, oh, yeah, that's right. you got to do this. And then we move on, and then we hit this thing, and then we exert our strength. We, we take it, you know, we take over, we do it, we try to do it, whatever. We fall on our face again and fail. And then the Lord's like, I love you. Let me pick you up, brush you off. And remember, it's me. I'm the one who does this. I'm the one living your life. Why don't you let me do it? Paul learned this. And I think he made a lot of mistakes along the way before he finally wrote this letter to the Galatians. And so I'm going to point out three things that kind of are categories. Okay, these are categories. Jesus must beat our temptations. I'm going to tell you something. You cannot beat sin in your own strength. When you exert your will against the temptation that's coming against you, you have just given that temptation power. How many of you have said when you are faced with a temptation, nope, 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 not going to do that, not going to do that, I'm not, no, 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 okay. And you give in. That's what happens every time, guys. There's a, there's a phrase in Alcohol Anonymous uh, called a dry, or uh, let's see, how's it go? Yeah, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the, the phrase right now. But it's, a, it's an alcoholic who is just um, white-knuckling it. That's what it is. They're white-knuckling. Does that make sense? They're white-knuckling. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to drink. And, and if you white-knuckle long enough, you'll wear yourself out and give in. White-knuckling against temptation doesn't work. Because every time we exert our will against that thing, it uses it against us. Temptation has, has the ability of, of, of the, the uh, uh, martial arts discipline of judo. Judo is when someone takes a swing at you and you use the, you use their, the momentum of their body to, like they swing at you and you just grab their arm and, and pull it. You're, you're using their momentum against them. And, and that's the way temptation is. When we begin to exert our will, we are we're beaten before we start. We've lost before we start. I read in Streams in the Desert this lady who said it this way. She said, when temptation would come knocking at my door, I would answer the door and I would always give in. But then I learned to send Jesus through the door. I didn't even bother answering the door. I just let Jesus answer the door and I began to have victory. That's, what, that's the way this thing works. Jesus must beat our temptations. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. 
Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Guys, if, if you say the words, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, you have just told a lie. I, I know that's probably cutting against the grain with some of you. Because you thought that was humble to say. There is nowhere in the New Testament that calls born-again believers that are new creations, new creatures, that are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. There's no place in the New Testament that says that you're a sinner. It's just not there. Paul said, I was the worst of sinners, or I am the worst of sinners, because he was killing Christians And God still saved him and gave him grace. And he says, so his point was not that he's a sinner. The point was, if God can can forgive me, he can forgive anyone. Because I was persecuting the church. I was killing Christians. I held the coats of the people that stoned Stephen to death. And he was a Christian, a, a great saint of God. But never does Paul call New Testament Christian born-again believers, sinners. We're not sinners saved by grace. We're saints who sometimes sin. Even the worst church that he wrote to, the Corinthians, he called them saints, and then he called them babies. He called them saints, and he said, you're a bunch of babies. You, You need to grow up. You need to start acting like grown men and women. But we died with Christ to the old man to the old self that our body of sin might be done away with, the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. You and I don't have to sin. If we'll send Jesus to the door, temptation will go away. Are we going to sin? Does, it mean, does, does being a Christian mean sinless perfection? Absolutely not. But we don't have to sin. In fact, Four verses later, in Romans 6.11, it says, Therefore, reckon yourselves dead to sin, but alive unto God in Christ Jesus. And then the next verse says, No longer offer your, the members of your body to sin, as slaves to sin, but offer your bodies, the members of your bodies, as slaves to God and to righteousness. We can walk in victory, consistent victory, So don't let me ever hear you say you're a sinner saved by grace again. You were a sinner and you have been saved by grace, but now you're a saint and you sometimes sin. (laughs) It's just that simple. Secondly, Jesus must carry us through our trials. We are a nation of people that have been known to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps to suck it up, as the British said, stiff upper lip, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, put your big boy pants on, whatever that means, and and plow through, get through, stop whining, you know, be a man, be a woman, stop stop being a a sniveling twit. Guys, I've been through trials. I've been through trials where I was overwhelmed. You know what a tsunami is? There are waves that come our way and we get knocked down. But every now and then in life, you get hit with a tsunami. Right, guys? 
Anybody ever been hit by a tsunami where you, you go under and you don't know if you're ever going to come up again? Yeah. I used to think when I was younger that depression was being in a bad mood or a sad mood or having a bad day until I actually experienced clinical depression. And it wasn't because I was weak in my faith and it wasn't because God had abandoned me or I was sinning. It's because I got hit with a tsunami. And I couldn't do it. I remember, I remember eight years ago dragging myself out of bed and standing with my head leaning against the shower door saying, God, I can't face this day. I can't do this. I cannot do this. I don't know how I'm going to survive this day. And I wasn't even working. I couldn't work. I was that. I was that overwhelmed. I was that bad. I can't do this, Jesus. And he says, I know. I can't tell you how precious it was to watch him carry me through each day. In retrospect, I saw him. I would need something, and it would be right there. I would turn around, and it would be there. I didn't even have to look for it. I, I mean, just looking for something was more than I could do during any given day. I had friends, people that would come to me. There was a day I couldn't get out of bed. A friend called and said, you've been on my mind all day. What are you doing? I'm in bed. He said, I'm going to come. He came and sat with me by my bed while I slept for two and a half hours and then took me to lunch. It's Jesus with skin on. But Jesus carries us through our trials. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me. Come to me. Come to me. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus wants to give us rest. Psalm, Psalm, 20, uh, Psalm 23, that's unfortunately mostly read at funerals. The Lord is my shepherd. It literally means in the Hebrew, I shall not be in want of any good thing. He makes me, makes me, makes me lie down in green pastures. Leads me beside still waters and restores my soul. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I've been there, folks. It's after the tsunami hits. The valley of the shadow of death. I know that's mixed metaphors. That's all right. It's bad. It's worse than bad. But he brings us through. We don't, we don't, it says, though I walk through the valley, not just walking into the valley and staying there. They'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's not a grave, it's a tunnel. It comes out on the other side. I don't care what you're going through. I do care, but it doesn't matter what you're going through in terms of where things end up. Jesus is with you in the middle of your tsunami and in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death. And he'll get you through. He will get you through. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He, he's not wanting to, to 
So, so this thing that, that Mark has given us to do, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. We can still make a difference for eternity if we just lean into him. And then Jesus must accomplish our tasks. I use the word task because it starts with T and temptation starts with T and trials start with T. But it means the work that we're put here to do. Paddy Putman, in the, who started a school kingdom ministry, um, has this thing where, where he shows the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he connects certain things with, cert, with, with certain persons of the Trinity. And at one point, he, he connects this. He says, the Father is all about our being, being his sons and daughters. It's about being. It's about relationship. The Father wants a relationship with us. And by the way, Christianity is all about relationship. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus and me and me and Jesus. It's all about that. It's not about religious practices. Okay? It's not. I've done the religious practices. They're worth nothing. The Father wants us to know that we are His children. He wants relationships. So the being is in the Father. And then our identity is in Christ Jesus. You and I, when we were were born again, we were born into Him. He took us in Himself as the last Adam to the cross, to the grave, to the resurrection, to the ascension. And we are now seated with Christ in the heavenly places according to Ephesians 2. We are seated with him in heavenly places. Colossians 3.1 You died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Wow, what a place to be. My life, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You in Christ, hidden in God. You in him, him in you. Read... uh, uh, John 14, it's all about that. I am in you, you are in me. That mutual indwelling, that mutual connection of us and him and him and us. And so when we begin to to walk out this Christian life, we're in Christ Jesus. So we belong to God, we belong to God, we're in Jesus, so there's the belonging and the being And then the Holy Spirit is the doing part. So the Spirit fills us. And then just like when when Jesus breathed on the disciples in in, in John 21, he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then uh, 40 days later at Pentecost, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they went out and they began to do the works of Jesus, the works of the Spirit, the works of God, the works of the kingdom. They healed the sick, raised the dead, cast out demons. All the things that Jesus had been doing, they did then begin to do. And so Putty says this, we've got to understand that we have to know who we are, that we're, we're in, in terms of our being. We are children of God, adopted in Christ. We are in Christ Jesus. That is what we are. We're his children. That's who we are. We're in Christ Jesus. That's what we are. And then out of that flows everything that we do in the Spirit. But he says, if you get that reversed, and that that gives life. That is a life-giving thing. I belong to my Father. I'm in Christ Jesus. I'm filled with the Spirit. Therefore, I can live 
a powerful life. But if we get that reversed and we do, we perform, we perform religious tasks. Oh, I'm giving to the poor. Look, Lord, I'm giving to the poor. I'm giving to the poor. Now, am I okay with you now? Do I belong to you now? If we get it backwards, if we do to be to belong, we're swimming upstream on the river of God, the river of life. We're swimming upstream. That's exhausting. We, we, we've got to let our being and be, our belonging and our being, um, our, our doing flow out of that, our belonging and being. And then we're just, we're just going with the Spirit. We're just flowing with the Spirit wherever the Spirit goes. We know who we are, we know whose we are, and we know how we're to function. That's why Jesus says this, remain in me, stay in me, as I will also stay in you. There's that, that mutual indwelling again. When you look at a grapevine, can you tell where the vine ends and the, and the branch begins? You can't, you can't see that. There's no, there's no line where, oh, oh, this is the vine and this is the branch. It's, no, the br- vine's in the branch, branches in the vine, the, the the, the vine art is, you know, is the thing that has the roots, the life-giving vine. But, but this is an illustration that Jesus is using here, one of the only parables in the Gospel of John. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. If you cut a branch off of a, of a, of a, a grapevine, it will not, that branch will dry up and it will not produce anything. By itself, it can't do anything. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. Look at this. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 wait a minute, Jesus. Wait a minute. No, I can do nothing? I think I can do some things. I can, I can give money to the church. I can feed the poor. I can, uh, I can play golf. I can sin. <laughs> I can look good. I can buy what I want to. I can do good things. I can do bad things. I can do neutral things. What, what do you mean, apart from you, I can do nothing? What do you mean by that? I think that Mark had it right last week. What counts, what counts in eternity are the things that we do that flow out of abiding in Jesus. Those are the only things that count. You can do anything you want to in your own strength, and it's going to amount to wood, hay, and stubble in the judgment. But everything that's born of Christ, him in you, you in him, abiding in him, allowing him to live his life through you, is what's going to count in eternity. For apart from him, we can do nothing of any eternal consequence or significance. We just can't. We don't have it in us. And so, (laughs) there is you in the flesh and you in the spirit. It's always that way. I wish I could stand before you and tell you that I have come to the place in my life that I am always in the Spirit, that I always function in the Spirit. I wish I could tell you that. 
but I don't. And my friend Dennis Kozlov said, I love spirit man Neil, but flesh man Neil, not so much. <laughs> you remember saying that to me? <laughs> yeah, I can't stand Dennis. I don't know. Either. No, I'm kidding. Um, so let's look at what, what we need to do here, okay? So um, th- this is from Dennis. He always makes me do application. First of all, guys, this is a relationship. I've said it before. I'll say it again. It's a relationship. The Lord and I were talking about, about uh, uh, dealing with the flesh, and uh, I was trying to come up with some some ways of, uh, so when I start to feel this, I need to, like, I'll have this prayer with me in my wallet. And I'll put, And he's like, Neil, this is about relationship, not technique. You are not going to come up with a technique that's going to answer this question for you. It's got to be, it's got to flow out of the relationship. If you're not connected with me and abiding in me and relating to me, and you're out there on your own, I don't care what your technique is and how clever it is, you're still going to fall on your face. Does that make sense? It's not about techniques. It's about being connected with Jesus in an emotional, relational, abiding, staying in Him kind of thing. And that, it takes practice to do that. Guys, you don't come out of the gate doing this. And, and, and so the Lord, back in 2017, when he challenged me to spend two hours a morning with him from seven to nine to give him that time, that was a turning point in my life. Because I can tell you today that I have more of a relationship with Jesus than I had when I started. The relationship part. It's not about just reading the Bible and just praying and doing all the spiritual disciplines. I long to get in his presence now. At first it was a chore, it was a task, it was a duty. It was, ah, oh, I gotta get up early again. I gotta get I gotta get my shower so I can get in there and I gotta read this and write this and do this. And but but quickly these disciplines became a delight. When you begin to practice these things, they begin to be a delight. And so find a place. Everybody needs a place. Everybody needs a place where it's just them and God. If you don't have your place yet, find that. It may be a challenge for some of you. Some of you have young children. Some of you um, work weird hours. Uh, some of you, you know, your, uh, you know, your spouse is always around or whatever. You got, but you got to try to find a space, a place where you can just be with Jesus. And you got to find a time. And try to be consistent with that if you can. I know some, of, some people's schedules change constantly with their jobs. But I really encourage you to find a place, find a time, and then find your rhythm. What is it that gives life? I would not start off with two hours. I would start off with 15 minutes if you haven't done this before. Give the Lord 15 minutes. Read a psalm. Write a, write a, write a prayer. Start, start just writing a few th- things down in a journal. But you've got to start someplace and, and, and get in the Lord so that you can hear his voice and know his heart. Hear his voice and know his heart. Guys, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. It's all about following Jesus. It's all about being with him and letting him have his way. 
And then I, I'm going to give you three resources. Um, these are three books that have been a huge blessing to me through the years. I'm going to rapid fire these, and then I'm going to show you what they look like. So the first one is The Indwelling Life of Christ, Ian Thomas. Uh, this book inspired the sermon this morning. This is an incredible book. Uh, it is the most practical way I've ever read from anyone of how to live the Christ life, how to let Jesus live his life through you. And then the principles of spiritual growth is out of print, but you can still get a copy. If you go to Amazon, uh, they have used book dealers, and, uh, and you'll be able to find this little book. It, for 20, it, Wally Martinson gave me this book 25 years ago. I mean, it's completely worn out, but uh, I've read this probably, probably a dozen times. And it's, it was my number one book for 25 years until I read Face to Face with God by Bill Johnson. But anyway... And then the practice of being with Jesus. This is a new one. My, my children turned me on to this. Wes and Lily uh, told, told me about this. This is by Chris Cruz. He's a, the young adult pastor at Bethel. And uh, uh, this, the practice of being with Jesus, just a real practical, easy, simple way of beginning to practice the spiritual disciplines that will take you deep with God. I would highly recommend this to you if you're just beginning. Now, I'm using it, and I'm not a beginner. But, but it's really good. It teaches you how to be quiet before the Lord. So guys, be like Danny Meyer. Get the Lent out of your pocket. Give him your best Lent. <laughs> Give him your impotent life of the flesh and receive his powerful life in exchange. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.